An opposition does not have to be opposition. It's where we left off last week. <clears throat> so if you will, turn in your Bible to Ezra chapter 6 this evening as we pick up where we left off. Let me read to you verse 17 of the previous chapter to remind you where we left off. Where it says, Now therefore, it seem, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon. Whether it is so that the decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. Now I wanted to remind you of this. Again, some of you guys were here, some of you were not. Some of you guys remember what we taught, some of you guys do not. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Tatanai, the, the official that, that wrote this letter to the king, was just doing his job. You know, when I started studying it last week and started looking into it and, and started going into chapter 5, I thought, oh, here's some more opposition to the work of God that, that needs to be done, that they have been called to do. Tatanai and this other guy, his friend, um, they, they're coming again saying, hey, who authorized this whole thing for you to do this? And so he was, he, he was doing his job. He was concerned about this group of people who had been brought back, whether he knew it or not, but they had been brought back to their homeland. And many of them had never been to their homeland, but now they are in their homeland. And God has directed them, but not only God, Cyrus the king has directed them to start building this building, this temple of God. And somehow, Tatanai, the, the governor of the whole region, not, you know, he, the, um, Zerubbabel was like the governor of, of Jerusalem at the time, but he was over a, a, a bigger region. And for some reason, Tatanai, it seemed like, wasn't in the loop <laughs> of what was going on. Somehow he didn't get the memo of what's happening in Jerusalem and why these people are doing what they're doing. And so being the, 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 the governor of that region, he had the authority to go to this group of people who, was, who were building this massive building and he had the authority to ask them questions. Hey, who, who told you to do this? Who authorized this, this whole thing? And all of this could have gone south really quick if the opposition had turned into an opposition. You see, they're coming in doing their job. They're asking questions, what's going on? And if the Jews were saying, hey man, you're just bugging us because we're Jews. Or, or, or it's because we're, we're working for God and you're doing this. He's going, I could care less about that. Why are you building but it could have gone south really quick if they would have copped an attitude, if you will. You know, all of a sudden it's like, hey, I know we know our rights, man. We have rights from the king. It's like, I don't care, man. I don't know anything about that. Why are you doing this? And so I, I love the fact that these guys, and what we looked at last week, this, this guy was doing his job like he was supposed to. 
And, and, and I will encourage you in this, my brothers and sisters. If you work somewhere for somebody, do your job. Do your job. You, you, you sold yourself to that job to do your job, just like this guy. He's working for the government in this situation, and he's trying to do the best he can. Now, again, when we looked at it last week, it kind of seemed like, man, this guy's kind of being a jerk. It could have looked like that. But if these guys would have been a jerk back to him, Again, he had the authority to shut them down. He had the authority to say, everything stops until my word, until I go to the higher-ups. And I love the fact that these guys used wisdom in how to convey what they were doing with this guy. They, they cooperated with him. And I know that there's some people like, never cooperate with the government, with the man. You know, they're just trying to suppress us, man. They're just trying to keep us down. And it's like, don't have that attitude, man. Not as a Christian. Not as a Christian. There's a difference that we're supposed to, we're supposed to be towards others. And we read a little bit about that in First Peter. That we're, we are to submit to the authorities. And again, man, if you go to Acts chapter... Oh, I didn't write down my, in my notes here. Four or five, somewhere around there, where Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin and they're going, hey man, stop doing what you're doing and we're, we'll throw you in jail and they're going hey we got to do what God's called us to do and so we're willing to go to jail now I'm saying that because some people is like well we're going to change the laws we're going to call Jay Seculo and we're going to call all these people and, and we're going to have them all change the laws for me and it's like no we live in a country that has laws and if we don't like them then be willing to pay the price when you think God is calling you to break the law be willing to go to prison and or jail to do that. And I know what some people are like, but that's not fair. It's like, well, again, obey God rather than man when it is appropriate, when they're telling you to go against your principles. And I'm saying that because, again, we dealt with a guy who was doing his job. And the people could have copped an attitude with them and it would have went ugly. But they used wisdom, and I believe God gave them wisdom in dealing with Tatanai and, and, and we're going to see here, man, again, the guy's not, not a, a, a mean guy. He was just doing what he was supposed to be doing. But before we get into our text, <clears throat> I want to read to you Proverbs 21.1, and I will read this scripture to you several times throughout because I think it's just amazing. Proverbs 21.1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it, wherever he wishes. And I share that with you because, again, God is in control, in ultimate control of everything. And even when we see things that are not going our way as believers, it's like, guys, we're going against the flow. Understand that. The world is not going to, by and large, follow our lead. <laughs> the world will do what the world will do. And if you've been in the Word, you know that. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world, when they're not acting like Christians. <laughs> okay, peeps? So I say that because God is still in control, and I don't care who the king is. He is in the hand of the Lord still. And he directs it just like he does rivers, man. And we, we have seen this through the book of Ezra, and I love it. Because right now, God is using... Persian kings to get his work done. They're not even Israelites. They're heathens. 
They're not believers, man. And yet God is like pulling the strings. <laughs> Probably doesn't have that kind of laugh, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Chapter 6, let's get into it now. Chapter 6 of Ezra. We'll read the first five verses right now. Then King Darius issued the decree and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. And at Akmitha, in the, in the palace that is in the province of Midia, Midia, a scroll was found, and in it a record was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifice, and let the foundation of it be firmly laid. Its height, 60 cubits, and its width, 60 cubits. With three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber. Let the expenses be paid for from the king's treasury. And let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple which is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. And so, as we kind of look over these, this portion for a bit here, King Darius is now in his second year of reigning over Persia. And when you look at Persia and, and you look at that vast empire that they were accumulating, man, it goes from like India all the way to the Mediterranean Sea and all the way down close to, to Egypt and, and all that area, man. That, that was all the Persian Empire at the time. And so he is reigning all of this, all over this. And Darius, he inherits, he inherits from King Cyrus all of this, everything that's happening, even this decree that Cyrus had put in place um, back in 520 uh, B.C. Now, again, Darius, he has a trusted official who is inquiring about the people at Jerusalem. And, and as we read last week, he writes out this letter because he says, okay, you guys continue to work. And again, because of their attitude, he says, continue doing the work, but i got to make a report and find out what exactly is going on and what kind of permission I can give you guys or not give you guys. And so I think it says a lot because of how they responded to him that he wrote this favorable letter to Darius. And, and, and I believe that, again, everything that he wrote on there was correct and on point. And the king is now acting on it. Because that's why I read to you the last verse of the last chapter. Because, again, he says, if it seems good to the king, go to the Hall of Records, basically, and find out what it says. So I can do your bidding, king, over here. Because if they're doing something that they're not supposed to do, he will put a stop to it. And so he asked the king to do this, and now he's, he's doing this. The orders have been given, 
And the search is underway in the archives in Babylon or, or in the house of the scrolls. So now all these people are having to go through all these edicts and, 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 uh, and uh, laws and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Decrees. You know, they're, lo- they're looking through all of it, finding out, trying to find out what, what, what this guy, Tantani, uh, Tantani, wants to know about. And so, so they're going through it. The Persian Empire held very good records, as did the Babylonian Empire before them. And I find it fascinating because both of these coincide, both of these, these historical events that happened there, that they wrote down, they coincide, they concur, and they correspond with biblical records. So when, when Israel was taken away, I don't know what happened to all their records. Maybe they were stored somewhere or whatever happened. But these guys that had held them captive, they took records of everything. And so whatever the Babylonians or the Persians' records look like, you can compare to Israel's records and or biblical records, and they go side by side, which is amazing. And I love the fact that these guys had the wherewithal to keep very good records. And so Tatanai had, requ- had requested that Babylonians' archives be searched for this decree, this document. But they weren't found there. Instead, the, 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 the scroll, which was probably made out of papyrus or, or, or leather or whatever, the, 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 whatever they were using to write on back then, was found in a place in, the, in verse 2, it says, Akmitha. It, it, it's also known, and maybe some of your Bibles have, have it, Akbatana, Akbatana. Which, which is a city in modern-day Iran today. The, the name of the city is called Han, Hama, Hamadan. And I looked it up to see where it was at from Tehran and, and from Babylon. It's kind of almost in the middle as you go this way. And, and, and it happens to be about 300 miles uh, northeast of Babylon. So as you're heading northeast, you would run into this place and it was like the capital city for Midia. And, and, and all, all of this would end up being the, the Medo-Persian Empire because they were just advancing and taking so much ground that it ended up being in this place and not in Babylon, which in Babylon today is modern-day Iraq. So the decree, the scroll that was in Ek, Ekmitha, it was there because... They believe that Cyrus, when he wrote out this or, or, or proclaimed this decree and wrote it, had it written out, they say that it, he, was, he was in that area in the summer of 538 B.C. When, when, when he kind of took over the whole empire and when he was giving these people the permission to go back. And that was about 18 years earlier of when this is written right now. And so for 18 years, nobody had looked at this thing. Now somebody's inquiring of it, and they find it. Not where they thought it would be, but they found it. And I just think, man, Lord, that is so amazing that you would use other countries, people that held your people captive, 
that cared enough for their captives, no, cap, yeah, captives, to take care of them and, and to write down all these things, especially when a decree like this is made, that, that, that it would be settled to when somebody inquires of it, it's brought out. It says in, in verse 3 through 5, it kind of gives us a little synopsis of, of, of what King Cyrus had decreed. And I would like to remind you of how the book of Ezra starts because our text this evening reminds us of the faithfulness of God. All these years later, God was still faithful to the nation of Israel. It took 18 years to get to this point. When they started the work, when they had gotten back to their place, and the work started in, in what was it, chapter 4. It took all this time because they had stopped doing the work. For about, 18, or for about 15 years, they stopped doing the work because of opposition. And then they started the, the work again when Haggai and Zechariah come on the scene. And maybe it shouldn't have taken that long, but it did. Again, they were commanded to do the work and the opposition hindered them and they stopped doing the work. But it shows me again the faithfulness of God because in this chapter, again, they've already started working last chapter and they're not stopping at the work. They're continuing to move. And I love the fact that, again, back in chapter 1, and I just want to read it to you really, really quick, just to kind of get a feel for it. Verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout the, all his kingdom, and he put it in writing. I, I love the fact that again, the Lord stirs up the heart of this man who is not a worshiper of God. He's not even close. But he's honoring God's people. And he's sending them back. And, and, and we've covered the fact that many of these kings from Persia and other nations, they would send their people back and, and say, maybe your God will bless me. Hey, a little selfishness there, but that's okay. He sends the people back. He stirred the, the heart of this king. And again, that's why I, I shared with you Proverbs 21.1, where it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God is always at work. Even today, He is at work in every nation. He is at work. From the worst of the worst nations to the best of the best nations, He is at work. He, he puts people in authority, and not just kings, but He puts other people in authority to take care of communities. I, I, I got a, a call yesterday from one of my old youth kids who's now a trooper up in, in, in Utah, and He's going through a hard time because he just got on the job out as far as patrolling out. And he, he had to deal with some fatalities. And, and he's going, how, how, do I, how do I battle this? And I encouraged him. I said, you are God's minister. 
God has placed you according to Romans 13. God has placed you in authority to take care of communities, to take care of people, to bring, to bring calm. Again, he's not walking where he should be with, with the Lord, but he knew enough to call his old youth pastor and say, how do I battle this right now? You see, God has placed him in authority. He places people in authority and God moves people wherever He wishes, however He does that. We are commanded that we are to pray for those in authority and we should. I love the fact that even in the beginning of, of Ezra, he had, the king had, had basically said that God had commanded him to send the people back. You see, God had promised the Jewish remnant that he would raise up Cyrus as a servant to restore all that they had before in that sense. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah referred to Cyrus, this king, by name, 150 years before this proclamation ever was proclaimed. Before this guy was ever born, uh, uh, gosh, I lost his name. Isaiah. Isaiah, thank you. Oh, somebody told me last week that I was messing up a lot last week. I was calling Ezra Isaiah. Did you guys remember that? It's like, oh, I hate when I do that. But anyways, or when, whenever it was, I'll probably do it again. Okay, guys? Um, but the fact of the matter is, and I will read to you from Isaiah, not Ezra. Isaiah, just some quotes really quick about this Cyrus. In Isaiah 44, 28, it says this, Who says to Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built. And to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And in chapter 40, 45, verse 1, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him a, the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. In, in verse 13 of that same chapter 45, he says, I will raise him up in righteousness and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free. Not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts. And isn't that fascinating? Again, reminding us of the faithfulness of God, that He knows what's ahead. He knows the people ahead. And He had prophesied, He had used Isaiah to prophesy about this man who would come on the scene and let His people go. And and I love the fact that that which is spoken and that which is written was preserved and it's once again revealed. Not only the Word of God, but also the Persian records. They were spoken and they were written down. And it is in God's Word for us to understand His faithfulness. He is faithful. You know, again, just, just thinking of all this time, I mean, when we're going through, through a hard time in our life, man, and it's more than two or three days, we're going, it's forever. 
And yet, man, there, there's things here that, that we see 150 years that God already knew what, what he was going to do. He knew that when he brought them back that the adversaries would come and they would start battling and, and there would be this time lapse of, of 15 years where they were just so discouraged and distraught. How's that for a trial? 15 years. All of those kinds of things. And, and so here in, back in our text, we get a little bit more detail of what actually was in the decree because what we're actually looking at is the official minutes, uh, if you will, of this decree, which those who were building knew what the official minutes of the decree said because they've already started building and it showed us in the last chapter that they were already doing their stuff. But one of the, 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 the details that we didn't quite get in the beginning was that the temple would be 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. That's a, that's a tall temple. It's, 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 it's like a block, you know, this way, you know. And, and that it would have three courses of large stones and one of timber. And then it shares with us also that the project would be financed by funds from the royal treasury. And also that the, the gold and the silver articles would be returned to their place in the temple. And, and we get that, that it is happening already. But two words popped out at me in these five verses um, so to speak, as, as I was looking over and I circled them, it was rebuild and restore. Rebuild and restore. God had promised this to the children of Israel. And He was faithful to perform it. Before they were ever taken away, He told them how it was going to play out. But that He would bring them back. And He would restore them. And they would rebuild. Just like we read in Isaiah earlier. 150 years earlier, He told the people, this is what's going to happen to you but I will send somebody and they will rebuild it. Guys, this is God's faithfulness. I, I, I don't know what you're battling today. I don't know what your anticipations are or your anxieties are, but God already sees it. And we don't have to look for it. We just serve Him today. And we just are faithful to Him today. He's already faithful, guys. That does not change. Not one bit does that change. I don't know what the future holds, but I know He holds it, <laughs> right? And so again, God is faithful. And, and, and it brought me, the other day I was reading through Joel, and it brought me to this place as I'm reading all this, and, and the rebuild and re restore there where it says in Joel 2, 25 to 27, I will, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. The praise and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. God was faithful and has been faithful and will continue to be, to be faithful to His people, the nation of Israel. He has not stopped loving them. Guys, we are His church. We're different than the children of Israel. He has called us and He is faithful to us. 
And he will do what he said he will do in our lives. It's interesting. He calls us the church, but we are a church corporately as well. And he says that the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. And I don't care what people say. Oh, there's a decline in the church. You know what? The, the, the church will, will continue. Why? Because he said it would. It doesn't matter whether you come or not. You're still part of the church. <laughs> if you're a brother or sister. Now, it's great when I see your faces and we gather together. That's awesome. But God is faithful to his church and he will always be faithful. And verse 6 says, Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shithar, Boznai, and your companions in Persia who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of the Jews. For the building of this house of God, let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river that is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And whatever they need, young bulls, rams, and lambs from, for the burnt offerings from, of, the, of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, oil, according to the request of the priests who are at Jerusalem, let it be given today, day by give it to them day by day without fail. And they shall and they that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict. Let a timber be pulled from his house and erected, and let him be hanged on it, and let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy the house of God which is in Jerusalem, I, Darius, issue a decree, let it be done diligently. This, this guy, Tatanai, again, I don't think that Tatanai and his companions were trying to be in opposition. Again, they were just trying to do their job. <clears throat> and they allowed the work to continue in the process of going through the process. Uh, and, and so when he writes back, when the king writes back to Tatanai, he tells him, hey, keep yourself far from there. In other words, no need to fret or take any kind of action against them. Keep your distance. Do not trouble, disturb, or interfere with the construction of the temple of God. It's okay, man. It's going fine. Just leave it alone. And, and then he turns around and he says, Moreover, I issue a decree of what you shall do for the elders of the, the, the children of Israel. Now, this, it, it wasn't that 
that Tatanai wasn't supposed to be anywhere around there. He just told them, hey, I need you to go and do these things for them. I don't need you to stop the work. You stay away from stopping the work, but I need you to be there and help the elders. I, I love the fact that because everything was on the up and up, now this guy's coming in in a different role. And he was to come in and come alongside the elders of the Jews to find out what they needed. Now, this wasn't a situation like Haman and Mordecai's situation where this guy was evil and he's trying to do the people harm and then all of a sudden the king says, oh, and by the way, those people that you just hate and despise, now you're going to have to serve them. That wasn't the case. This guy was just doing his job. Tatanai now had a new decree from the king and he was going to have to do what he was commanded to do. Now, I don't know if Tatanai liked that or not, but he worked for someone and he was going to do as he was commanded. And I was reminded of Ephesians chapter 5 when it speaks to us as believers. And I just want to read it to you really quick because again, it speaks to us about, about work. And, 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 and a, a, a man like this, who is not a believer, but he's doing what he is told to do because he works for someone else, where it says in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, I, I think I said 5, but it's in chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are, who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as man-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will, be, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Again, as believers, we are commanded to do as our bosses have asked us or told us to do. We are to be good workers. If, if they tell us to do this, whether you like it or not, you have sold yourself to them. You are their slave, basically. <laughs> we can use those terms. And you are to be the best worker you possibly can, not so much for them, but for the Lord. He has called us to do that. If they get rich in the process, hey, they're the ones that took the risk. You didn't. <laughs> so work for them and do the best you can for them. And so it says that, he says, let the cost be or, or come out from the taxes that, were, that are to be paid. Now, again, part of the first edict, the expenses were to be paid from the king's treasury. Now this edict is saying, no, it's going to come from the local taxes. And this is what's going to happen. And I just believe, man, this is a miracle of God. <laughs> when, when you have this government going, hey, you guys need a building? We'll build it for you. It's like, wouldn't that be awesome if, if governments did that for churches? That'd be awesome. But uh, they don't always get to do that. But again, they just had a good rapport with the people. And because of that, he's going, no, we're going to take care of them. And I love that about that. So that they are not hindered. In other words, any and all obstacles in the physical realm were now taken away, were removed. And I'm sure Satan was not happy about that because, man, they, if he could have used these people, he, he would have used them. But for some reason, 
they came in trying to do their job. And I'm sure that there were still people there that were trying to oppose the Jews. But I don't think that they wanted to pay the consequences as we read just a while ago. And, and, and we'll see in just a bit. But I want to share this with you that, that again, the, the government or the king was saying, hey, we don't want no hindrances in, in the work of the Lord, of what was going on. And so I'm sure, like I said, Satan wasn't too happy about it, but he did because Satan does need willing accomplices to do his work. And I don't think these people wanted to pay the price uh, of, 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 of doing Satan's bidding in any way. And so, again, nobody could stop these guys. But guys, I was just reminded as I'm studying this going, God has called us to do the work. And yes, there's hindrances at times, but those hindrances are sometimes just moved away and you just continue doing the work of the Lord. That, 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 that nothing would stop what God has called you to do. And there are times that, again, opposition comes, as we read a few weeks ago, and man, it's just so hard that you just want to quit. You don't want to move on. You don't want to do it. And yet there's times it goes, here, I'm just opening up the door for you. And all, all those hindrances are, are out of the way. Now what? <laughs> you just go for it, man. You worship and you praise God through it all. And he says to them, and whatever they need, whatever they need, you're going to take care of every need that they have. And it's interesting because it started out as an investigation uh, and it ended up into a, this, this decree this royal decree to protect the Jews and provide for them. But then again, I thought, what if? What, what, what if they would have opposed or seen Tatanai as an opposition and they turned it into an opposition? But they didn't. And I love that because God went before them and instead of these guys being defiant and disdaining these people that were coming against them, they cooperated with them and all of a sudden this letter that was sent to headquarters came back in a very positive light to say, hey, now we're going to take care of everything that they need. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. That you but do this with gentleness and respect. And I read that out of the NIV because I love that last part. When we are being confronted by people, that we should be able to answer them with gentleness and respect as well. That we should not just be in opposition to be in opposition. And then say, man, Satan's just beating me up. And it's like, nope, he, he wasn't beating you up. You were just being an idiot. You did this on your own. Be careful with that. That, that whenever people are asking us why we do what we do, that we would be able to answer them with the hope that is within us, that we have, that we would always answer people with gentleness and respect because that's what God requires of us. And then he does say, he says, hey, in verse 10, and pray for the king 
and the sons, that this would all happen. And again, whether it was for selfish reasons that he thought he could find favor with God, be that as it may, whatever it was, the Bible does tell us that we are to pray for the authorities. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, I exhort you first that you... Uh, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for those who are in authority, that you may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all goodness and reverence. And that is what we are commanded to do as well. And so whether this guy was thinking maybe we might find favor, the people of Israel were supposed to be praying for him anyways. And then he, he issued another decree here in verse 11 um, that said, if anybody altered this decree, it said, let, let a timber be pulled from their house and then erected and let him be hung on it. Now, it wasn't like this crucifixion that we might be thinking about that they would be hanged on it or maybe hanged on it. The, the, the timber was actually they would impale the guy and then erect it and then the guy would just be impaled up on top because that's the way they did things back then the 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 syrians and the persian empire um that was one of their forms of uh capital punishment they would impale people like that um they practiced that i don't think they had a lot of opposition to to the laws <laughs> um but he didn't he didn't want any in any disturbance with with what he had set out there and I'm sure this king, he was true to his word, and people knew that. And so they, they, they thought, we're not going to mess with the children of Israel. And no wonder they weren't hindered, man. All the word started. These guys are going, I don't know, Satan, you can whisper in my ear all day long, I am not going to be impaled. <laughs> I am not doing it. And I love this last part in verse 12. It says, I, Darius, issue a decree, let it be done diligently. And I was just reminded of that movie that says, so let it be written, so let it be done. Um, anyways, verse 13. Then Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the, the river, Shishthar, Boznai, and their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. Of course they would. Um, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered. Through the prophecies, the prophesying of Haggai and the prophet, uh, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Edu, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar. Which, is, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of the house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering uh, for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their division and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. The, the temple, 
And again, man, I love the fact that people do all this research. The temple was completed on March 12, 515 B.C. is the day that this thing was completed. About 70 years, give or take a few days or a month, from the destruction of the temple that the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And about five and a half years after Haggai and Zechariah had come back and told the people to get back to work as we covered last week. So from last week, from chapter 5, verse 1, to the end here, it had taken them about five years to complete the temple, but it was completed. And guys, God is faithful. God is faithful. Once again, God is faithful to take care of His people. He provided encouragement through the preaching of the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And He even used the authority and the wealth of Persian kings to further the work of the Lord because God is faithful. He will use anybody and anything, whatever circumstance you might be going through, God is at work. He is faithful. He is always faithful. He can never not be faithful to you. That's who He is. And so we see that through all of this work, they're they're excited. Even though there's no ark uh, in the holies of holies, there's no there's no glory that is filling the temple like it did the first time when when the, the first temple was built. And still they are dedicating this temple to the Lord because it is His house built for His glory. And now these people, instead of weeping over what they didn't have as far as the ark and, and, the, and the glory that shone in there, they were rejoicing for what they did have. They dedicated the house of the Lord with joy, it says, as it should be all the time. To be able to just dedicate ourselves with joy because that is what we're supposed to be. That should be our attitude of faith all the time. To have joy no matter what the circumstances are. No matter what you have or don't have. To be able to worship with joy. I found it interesting that the word in in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for dedicated is is, um, Hanukkah. And, and most of us know that that's a Jewish holiday that they celebrate beginning on the 25th of December. And it's interesting, as I was reading here, that, that they remembered this, this, or they rededicated the temple in 165 B.C. under Judas Maccabeus um, when, when the, the Gentiles had come back. And they had taken the, the, the temple or that area and they came back and they captured the, the temple once again. They cleansed it and they rededicated it back to the Lord. And so that word dedicated is Hanukkah. Interesting. Verse 19. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover. On the, fourth, on the 14th day of the first month, which would be April 21st. Um, for the priest and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually cleansed or clean, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the descendants of the captivity. 
for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the, the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria towards them to strengthen their hand to the work of the house of God of Israel, the house of God of Israel. And so guys, again, man, just to see God's faithfulness in all of this. A few weeks after they had dedicated the temple, built and dedicated the temple, um, the, the time for Passover had come. And they gathered together all their families and they remembered their time exiting uh, Egypt when God delivered them out of their bondage. And so you can imagine that these men and these people were so excited when they came back. And again, it's taken them close to 20 years to, to finish the work that they were supposed to do back then. But you can imagine that there was this excitement and this joy because God is rebuilding in their lives. He's restoring in their lives. And there is a newfound joy that is coming with them. And they are able to keep the Passover once again to be able to slaughter the innocent lamb that God would, would, would that they would remember when, when death passed over them in Egypt and they were free. And again, all of this is a symbol of who Jesus is, who is our great Passover lamb. Guys, that we would be excited, that there would be a joy, not a manufactured excitement, but a, a deep, profound joy to be able to worship to be able to dedicate ourselves and give ourselves to the Lord day in and day out and say, Lord, you are faithful. Again, I don't know what you're going through. And there are times of despair. And there are times that the enemy just puts these roadblocks in front of us. And we're just willing to just give it all up because we're so tired. And we forget the faithfulness of God. We forget that. Guys, he will get you through whatever. If the enemy is throwing roadblocks in, then you jump over them, go around them, slow down for a little bit, and then take a flying leap over it. I don't care. Do whatever you got to do. To not let the enemy stop and take away the joy that God has given to you. He is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And I love the fact that these guys, man, not only did they cleanse themselves from, from what they used to do, but they gave themselves over and, and they invited those who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations, those who were proselytes, and even those who were not, they invited them in to celebrate Passover with them, to teach them and show them what God had done in their lives. And I could imagine that they are talking about the faithfulness of the Lord because he is faithful he is always faithful and so what good is a dedicated temple if you don't have dedicated people right and so they were dedicating the temple and they were dedicating themselves as well to serve the Lord to cleanse their hearts to as they restored the temple they dedicated themselves to the Lord and I love that once again 
you know, at, at the end here where it says that he turned the heart of the king of Assyria. And again, I'm going to read to you Proverbs 21.1 where it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so no matter what circumstance we may be in, God is faithful. We can trust his faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, it says in Lamentations 3.23. It's not just a song or a verse that we can quote, but we can actually act on that. Great is your faithfulness. He is able to do that. In Psalm um, 90 or 89.1, it says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. How many of you guys remember that song? Some of you? A few of you? I was going to try and do it a cappella. <laughs> Be pretty tight if I did it. Should I try it? Well, you guys got to help me out. For those of you guys who might not know, I, I should have warned Thomas, you could have put the, the words up there, but you can turn to uh, Psalm uh, 89.1. And where's baby girl? Where's... Uh, Gabby, I'm still going to need her to finish off after I finish this one. But let's go like this. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. And with my mouth will I make known your faithfulness, your faithfulness, and with my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Let's stop right there. For you new people are going, does he do that every week? No, ever. I never do. This is just so off the cuff. It was crazy, but I loved it. Hey, let's pray, man. Father, thank you so much, Lord God, for just your word, for your faithfulness, Lord God. That's what you've been just sharing with me so much throughout my time in studying your word, Lord, especially through uh, Ezra right now, Lord, that you have been faithful to all generations, Lord. You have said it in your word, and it is happening, Lord, just the way you said it. And God, I pray for us, Lord, today. We have your word. You've already shown us, Lord God, that you are faithful. You sent your son because you are faithful, Lord. He died on the cross because he is faithful, Lord, to do what you have called him to do. Lord, remind us, Lord, when we're going through those times where we just want to give up, Lord, of your faithfulness. God, that we would sing to you, that we would offer you praise and worship, Lord, even through the darkest moments that, God, we might be able to sing of your faithfulness. God, remind us of that, Lord. Remind us of your faithfulness day in and day out, Lord. We bless you and we thank you, Lord. I pray for anybody that's in this room right now, Lord. Again, you've brought people here, Lord, that I don't know. And, Father, if they don't know you, God, if they're far away from you, I pray that tonight, Lord, you would draw them in. Lord, show them, even as we're praying right now, that you are faithful, that you've died for their sins, Lord, and that they could repent of their sins and be right with you, Lord. Do that work, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's